Streaming 24-7. Play in the 60s, 70s, 80s of rock and roll on Channel 2 of the Dirty Radio app. Dirty Radio Classics. Coming up next, it's This, That, and the Other. This, That, and the Other. Thank you very much. Live forever. One of my oldest, dearest mates in the whole world. A true closet rockabilly that nobody knows about. <laughs> until now. My, my, my dear pal, Lemmy. And Slim Jim, the best drummer I ever played with on this stage. Let's get uh, some Jim Phantom on the phone. Drummer of the Stray Cats, Sirius XM personality, guest on this set and the other radio show. You heard a little uh, head cat with uh, Lemmy at the Cat Club, former owner of the Cat Club, and uh, Colonel Parker, which will uh, spin after we speak to Slim Jim. Halen from New York, now in L.A., Let's give him a call right on time as if I know what I'm doing. All right, uh huh, uh huh. It's 213 867 5309. All right, let's call him up here. Mm hmm. Yabba Oh, see what happens. How many rings? We're sorry, the number you've reached has been disconnected. Hello? Slim Jim Phantom, uh, Troy Patrick Farrell hey, hey, here. This, that, and the other radio show. Sense? Doing good, man. Live and alive here on Dirty Radio Classics. How you doing? I'm doing cool. Awesome, man. Great to hear you. Thanks for coming on the show. Legendary rockabilly drummer from the Stray Cats. Uh, you know, I know you not only from the band, but I know you on a personal level from the Cat Club in L.A., uh, adjacent to the Whiskey A Go Go, Rest in Peace Cat Club. And uh, we spun a little bit of uh, Head Cat with Lemmy on vocals. And I just want to kind of go over a few things with you. I mean, we don't have to start from uh, in your your birthday suit days. You know, we can fast forward a little bit. But I, I want to talk a little Stray Cats. I want to talk about your time with Lemmy. Uh, talk a little Colonel Parker. Talk a little bit of the Cat Club, being a club owner, and what is going on today. All good, buddy. We're going to hit all that stuff. Let's go back a little bit to the Stray Cats and, uh, you know, you guys coming out of New York. Now, I, I hear the break happened in the early 80s in London, and uh, were you guys making some headway in the New York area that allowed you to, to get over to London to have that big break? Simple answer is no. Um, we uh, We were playing... Uh, basically, we had created our, our own scene in New York. Uh, there was a couple of uh, maybe uh, greaser type uh, oldie station, but there wasn't a rockabilly scene. And, and we discovered the music, and I I just fell in love with it when I saw the saw the original pictures and then recordings of Elvis Presley and Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent and Buddy Holly and Jerry Lee Lewis and we were just uh, and then deeper with Carl Perkins and just beautiful stuff and it affected us in such a way we were all musician guys in school and we all had that same experience with finding that music and we just made our own scene really there wasn't a scene to join we went uh we would go and play really corner bars uh that didn't necessarily have live music and we would set up and and play. We did four four sets a night, five nights a week, and uh, 
once maybe a month we would go into New York City, which wasn't too far, 40 minutes, and play CBGB's Max's. But you couldn't do it that often there and make a living at it. But we were making a living at it. But we knew that there wasn't particularly a scene. So we were still quite young. And we said, let's have an adventure. We'd gotten Melody Maker and NME and the the you know the Brit mags and that and heard that Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran were like legendary over there where where we were no one was really that hip to it so we kind of went there and were homeless to be honest and uh, knocked on enough doors it got a couple opportunities to play gigs pubs that were on in the afternoon kind of thing and we were very outrageous and word spread a little bit and we got a few uh, you know maybe handful of shows and we just worked them and, and there, there was a scene there without us knowing it for not necessarily rockabilly but music scene so uh, people like Lambie you mentioned before came down to the uh, to watch the Stray Cats play Chrissy Hine Joe Strummer Mick Jones Glenn Matlock Captain Sensible that original late 70s early 80s people in london and then that start makes starts making the music papers and so there's news about that these crazy guys and they have this story and they're and then people like ray davies started coming and uh robert plant and then the rolling stones came and this is all within us moving there in june being homeless this was probably december Wow. Wow. So the, the, the origins of Rockabilly. So you're about how old when you, uh, go, you guys go over to London to try and, uh, you know, make some waves over there. 19. 19. Okay. And, and so you guys are, you guys are kind of into this music and you, you know, what, what's the sort of the origins of Rockabilly? What era is that? You know, cause you know, we can talk about, you know, classic rock and, and rock sure. and roll and, you know, Zeppelin started, you know, in the, you know, some of these bands started in the late sixties, seventies. And then now today there's a lot of bands that, that have, you know, still keeping that sort of tradition going. Uh, Rockabilly was big. How old are you when, when you're familiar with that, but yet it's not really happening as a scene in new york right rockabilly music itself was um there's probably origins of it but the ground zero that we tend to go to is elvis presley recording at sun studios when uh, uh rockabilly is the nature of it is rock which was really the blues jump blues okay um, rock and blues um, that was uh, usually had a horn section. Maybe could uh, relate it to Bill Haley in a funny way. That there was uh, there was a bunch of other acts doing that, and then there was the hillbilly music that was more Grand Ole Opry. So it was one side of the tracks meeting the other side of the tracks, and Elvis Presley was pretty much the uh, the conduit for it. Wow, interesting. And he recorded that son. Uh, Sun Studios, which is Sam Phillips, who had been recording uh, the early records by um, Jackie Brenston, who a band member of that was Ike Turner, Rocket 88, is a lot of times uh, mentioned as the first rock and roll song. And all at the same time, Elvis Presley is going between the two worlds, going to gospel gospel churches and R&B clubs, and at the same time, hillbilly clubs. And he was influenced by all of it. And then it came out in the, in the stew that was Elvis Presley at Sun Studios. And when we heard that, it was very quickly to make the find out about Rockabilly. That leads you very quickly to Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly, 
Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, early recordings, and holy mackerel, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, the whole thing is when you peel back the first layer, it's all there. But we went all in with how we looked, how we yeah. played, how we looked, the the whole thing. We weren't really um, casual uh, fans of anything. <laughs> we were, and and we wanted it right away. Yeah, you and got we you got around in New York for about a year. So when with the the time we went to London and were overnight sensations, we had been doing this four sets a night, five nights a week for a year. So we were very good at it. When when it came down to, and we were very confident and very hungry. When, for a career and also hungry to, to eat lunch, we were all the marbles are here. Go and play. When uh, so, when you're doing these four to five sets, uh, five nights a week. Well, one thing interesting about that, and then I'll ask the question: is that you know the the typical rockabilly tune, at least straight cat tune, uh, you know, weighs in somewhere in the mid two minutes. So I, it sounds like it would be an extensive. A set list of a lot of songs, you know, because they are kind of short. But were you guys uh, working in any new material, like you know, like original stuff in between the covers? Yes, we had we had Rock This Town, which we uh, developed. We had Trey Cat Strut. We uh, towards the end of it, a lot of it was spurred by reading a newspaper article uh, about Rumble and Brighton, about the Teds and the Mods. I guess Quadrifini would be the reference for um, for for the folks at home and we thought it was the coolest thing ever right so we wrote a song about that about the mods and the rockers fighting rumble and brighton without ever having been there and uh without having that actual experience we 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 from jones beach new york new york we didn't um we couldn't find anybody to care let alone get you riled up about it yeah yeah we, our own experience was looking this way Blue suede shoes, pink pig pants, um, hair uh, five inches high, kind of thing at all times at the 7 Eleven and uh, Massapequa and Amityville and Belmore and you know, the places that we went riding the train. We were kind of outrageous, but there wasn't any other people doing it. It was just really, we thought, you know, you know squares against us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so, um, so we heard that. In, in in England, there, there was The Clash, there was punk rock. We, we, we had music mags that we would get three, four months later at the, you know, one store in New York City that we could get the import record kind of thing. So, but we had been gathering, so any records that we had, Johnny Burnett, Buddy Holly, Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran, Five Six, we knew every song on the record. Yeah, wow. We do. Of course, there's jamming involved we're, we're with two other people that are, like virtuoso players so we were we were good at it by the time a year later when they said one two three go in england the the, the rolling Stones is going to be there we we're like no problem so how, <laughs> how did that that transition over to london get in in uh, 81 and and getting 80, 1980 1980 okay and getting noticed by all those heavyweights out there also sort of early in the in some of those guys early in their careers um how did that transition into getting a record deal? Did you guys get an overseas deal, or was it back in the states? Uh, yes, that that was the thing. We were kind of all, although we were from New York, and very obviously to anyone there who met us, not British. And uh, the, how how record contracts, and I still think it's the same for what I know, is they're like structured. You uh, uh, with without including the the states, because I don't think a lot of um, Labels say in Europe want the burden of you know 
trying to break a band. They like see how it does, I suppose, you know. Sure. And um, it was the same, um, the same thing for us. The record was released UK, Europe, Australia, Japan, kind of thing, 1980, and we toured everywhere, everywhere, the whole year of 1981-82, and made a couple of ventures back to the States, and one of them was a funny one because it was a television show called Fridays, which I don't know if anyone remembers, that was a kind of a, uh, 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 ABC was trying to keep up SNL. It was a, a that was their version. Okay. It was a sketch show like, a, like that. Yeah, like a variety show. The guy show. who was the booker of it, yes. The guy who was the booker saw us in London. And uh, we were going to probably Japan or Australia, stopping in LA for some I've ever been here. We've been everywhere else before here. And we we did the show again. It was another one of those examples of, uh, you know, one, two, three, go kind of thing live. And we just went on national television, played live. Uh, I think there was two or three segments. They had to play two songs and go hang out for a little while, go play. I think we probably just hung out and talked to him. You know, the host was went outside and smoked probably like whatever it was. It was very, um, uh, you know, we did the thing and then it took another year. That was, um, they still didn't quite get it, the labels here. So uh, that was 81, and then 82, towards the summer, we came back to the States because uh, we were noticed by uh, EMI. And Arista, who the record was on Arista, rest of the, uh, for the world, they decided not to pick up the option to release it in America, which we still never know. Maybe it was clerical, maybe nobody told anybody, but it was available. So uh, EMI took the two records that had been released, rest of the world, and we did a couple of new songs, and that became the first American release, Bill for Speed. And that coincided with um, uh, when MTV started, we had already had a couple of videos, and we were ready to pull the trigger because you had done them in England for use on like television shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you couldn't be in Germany, you you know they you know they played the um, you know solid gold of Germany, whatever the thing is. Sometimes you couldn't be at all of them, which we did so so many of those uh, lip sync ones, uh, dozens and dozens. But um, uh, sometimes you couldn't be there, and they had a video. So we had in the can. Straight Cat Strut was done in 1980. Rock Town, I think we did after his Runaway Boys was done. So so when MTV was invented, believe it or not, they needed content. Yeah, yeah. So they looked and we kind of fell into the same categories, a lot of these groups, because they were UK groups. The, a lot of the early MTV people. So we were in, uh, fell in with that uh, original MTV, new wave kind of kind of thing which was good really yeah you know it, the thing about uh, stray cats to me is that it's it's sort of a a corner of the neighborhood that um there aren't a lot of bands there doing that or sort of flying that flag is there anybody modern day that sort of fits you know like a modern day stray cats that's kind of doing what you guys did but you know in current times there's a few that are very good um uh reverend horton heat is my sure. buddy we do a lot of stuff with him he's great and there's huge the scene itself is bigger than any of the individual people. The gotcha. Stray Cats would be the one that would be able to unite the whole thing when we play. But there are festivals, and it's uh, um, fueled by 
you know, classic car and kind of lifestyle things. Like these rockabilly kids, they don't like anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, they're um, young and or they've been doing this for a long time, but it's constantly getting new um, new people. But as far as one group that united it, it was the Stray Cats, and I don't, I'm not quite sure the next one. You know, Rev is good. Imelda May made some good records. She's great. There's a very strong scene. And um, when you go to, you know, the big festivals, there are, you know, rockabilly festivals generated by the lifestyle, really. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it certainly is a, a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's not a fashion. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's, I think, the interesting part about it is, is that it's, uh, it's the look, it's the, the image, the music, the scene, and all, you know, the, all that goes with it. Uh, let me ask you this. Is, uh, what, what, what's the current status of uh, Stray Cats? Uh, Stray Cats, we did, we did an album and a tour in 2019 uh-huh. uh, for for our 40th anniversary, and it was good that we didn't go by the first release. So that was 1980. Everyone said, "Oh, I'm making 40 years. Do it in 2020. It's perfect." You right, know? right. <laughs> we were being you know sticklers. I don't even know how or why, <laughs> but we said no. We started in 1979, so we wanted to do the record in which was great. We made an album. It, it did well, whatever albums do these days. Got number three in Billboard charts, and we did World Tour. Uh, the last one was uh, the Greek Theater, which was a beautiful show. And we were ready to do more, and now the world changed a little bit, so I think we're going to gear up for it for it again. Wow, that's awesome. That's exciting news. Um, 40 years, so you, you, you got, I mean, that's that's crazy. You get, well, now we're past 40, so, um, you know, you guys are for 42, 43 years getting there. Um, is there, exactly. have you guys ever had, because I, I sort of feel like, and I, I don't really know what the, I don't think anybody knows what the considerations are for the Rock Hall of Fame. It just sort of varies. Uh, has, have you guys ever been uh, nominated to be on the ballot? You certainly qualify. But that's something that I would like to um, to explore. I made a few exploratory. I think it's more, uh, which we find out more. More so that is putting it on the radar. So we'll find out. I think the people, you know, the people listening should write in because there's. I don't. I couldn't see a possible argument against the straight cast being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, I think you Springsteen would uh, you vote us in, or Bob Dylan, or Robert Plant, or Keith Richard, or yeah, whoever. Yeah, yeah, so you or, got a lot of friends uh, from or, the early uh, days, for sure, still or around. Logos, or, um, you know, whoever, <laughs> Eric Clapton, or Jeff Beck, or uh, or The Clash, or The Sex, but whoever it is, I think that, um, I think it's kind of cool to like the straight cast, and that was always a thing, because there's no argument against it, because we are the the current since 40 years torchbearer for gene vincent for eddie cochran for all the original american rock and roll stars for sure and and if anything it it transitioned all of uh, all of your heroes into modern day you know by you guys having your influences came the stray cats and because of the stray cats the, the music is is i feel like it's you you transition it into different generations that may not have heard it had you guys not not taken the sure. uh, you know what I mean taking the the torch and ran with sure. it here now over forty years later. I, I was just doing a little bit of research and checking out some stuff. I actually saw some footage from you guys tracking in Nashville of the forty album, um, you know, three years ago, and uh, and I found some other footage. Now you're not going to be able to hear it, but the listeners are. It's about a thirty second clip from when uh, Brian Setzer had gone on to do the the orchestra, and it it talked a little bit about. 
about um, you guys, you know, sort of having a split or something that inspired him to kind of go off and, on his own and do this big band thing. Um, I'm just going to play the clip. You won't be able to hear it, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk to you about it when, uh, when it's done. Hang on one second. Slim Jim Phantom on here. This, that, and the other radio show, Dirty Radio, Dead FM, Dirty Radio Classics. We're going to revisit to a Behind the Music with Brian Setzer of the Stray Cats talking uh, Slim Jim. Scratch their way to success, only to come apart at the seams. I got a the three were totally different personalities. There was no one to put them back together. Jim was such a bastard, I just decked him. <laughs> he stood up and I went, wham, and he went down. So the clip is kind of talking about you guys had a falling out and that you had stood up, uh, you know, to uh, Brian and and he says in the clip that he decked you. Can can you uh, weigh in a little bit on that story? Who knows, man? (laughs) hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. um, That's really, I don't even know when that interview was, you know. Whatever it is, I know that in 2019 we played the Greek theater and we're number three in the Billboard charts. That's what I know. Right on. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, hey, let's let's talk a little bit. So, Stray Cats, hey, uh, you know, the the uh, it's open season for you guys to come back and do some tunes here. Um, what else have you worked on? Now, we uh, we spun a little bit of Colonel Parker and we uh, spun some Head Cat where you performed with uh, Lemmy. You guys tracked an album. Tell me a little bit about that story and, uh, and your friendship with uh, the Almighty Lem. Lemmy loved Carl Perkins and Gene Vincent, and anyone who says they like Lemmy, any headbanger or any rock person, any controversial, anyone trying to find anything, Lem is really very well known for liking all this stuff. He, um, all of those um, classic rock cats, they love it. None of it was created in a vacuum. So you always have to think of who the people you like, who did they like? And with someone like Lem, there's one, there's one step removed. He loved all that, and uh, he was one of the original people that came to see us in London. And I was friends with them. Literally, 1980, we were we were pals back then, and then uh, we would always stay in touch. And then I think it was maybe in the 90s he moved to LA, and just happenstance, right next to where I lived, Doheny Drive, he lived behind, and so I would see him every day. And we had played together in England a bit. He would come on stage, I think, maybe with the Shrek Hats and play. And um, the next extension was, well, we're, we're just hanging out here. <laughs> there was some, we went to the studio to do, uh, to do one track for a tribute record. And, of course, we finished it very quickly, and we had the rest of the day. So we kept going, and well, let's come back tomorrow. You may have a studio available tomorrow, yes. So we went in, and that turned into... Um, to, to Headcat, and there was a, you know, always a lot of interest in what he did and what I did, and it was all scheduling really. At the same time, Motorhead was having a huge comeback that they never went away. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, and the same with the Stray Cats and um, Lem's uh, uh, documentary came out and that pushed it over the top, but he had never stopped doing it. And his, you know, favorite thing in the world was Buddy Holly. And little Richard and Gene Vincent, and he was really he was quite quite open about it. <laughs> I don't think there was any. He, he loved it. Did you uh, do, do you happen to do you happen to possess uh, a Lemmy bullet with ashes? Uh, do uh, yes, 
Wow. Okay. So the, I don't know what the, yeah, the amount, but things. there was a very limited amount that were sent out to uh, near and dear friends. And uh, Slim Jim Phantom has one of those. That's uh, what's, what's the story on that? Did it just end up in your mailbox one day or, or how did that go down when you got it? And, and what did you feel when you opened that up? Well, it's the, you know, Lem was our friend. Sure. First and foremost, he was, he was our buddy and we, um, well, we knew it was going to come because the you know the people get in touch the the immediate family and 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 his estate and we were there with them you know, right right until the very end there was a few of us there and we were we all went out together you know we were there with them and so like a you know token of memento is you know totally cool and to be thought of that way as we were you know. Rightfully so, and at the same time, flattered and always moved by it. Yeah, he's he's, he's an iconic guy. It's you know, and it's, has become that absolutely, and it's very Lemmy. Like when I'm just like, I don't, however that got put together, it's very Lem with, you know, my dear friends. Uh, are going to get a bullet with my ashes in it. And it's just very, that's just very Lemmy to me. You know, and I don't know him as well as you certainly don't have the history, but you know, I, I ran into him uh, at, at the, sure. uh, the rainbow and he, he Always. treated me as nice as he would treat anybody. He knows very well. He just was that kind of a dude. So uh, I think that's I a very cool gift. I never saw the guy be rude to anyone in an airport or a truck stop or a, and the rainbow or anywhere. Yeah. I, I just never saw him be rude. Let's talk a little bit about the the drumming style of uh, a Slim Jim Phantom, and, and is it is it very rockabilly to, to stand up? Is it is that, or is this something uh, you know that you saw somewhere and said that this will fit what we're doing? How did that come about? Uh, standing up and playing uh, originated with me seeing pictures of Dickie Harrell from Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps on uh, I think it's the second album of theirs. We uh, we used to really live your whole life, all all of these things we did from for, from a perception of you know record covers and you know old you know I don't even know how you would, you would really find it past that, and there wasn't anywhere to look for it. We knew a few uh, import kind of you know stores. There was one groovy store uh, that you could find those those records and. There was a picture on Gene Vincent's second album of Dickie Harrell standing and playing the drums. So we thought, what if you did that all the time? And then what if you move that into the front? That's our, I don't know if anyone ever had done that before, moved it to the front. Yeah. I think Rockabilly now, probably a lot of people do it. Um, and not just in Rockabilly. I think since I did it, there's been a lot of examples of it. And it's, I think it's cool. Very, um, Flattering is another time I use the word. Uh, I think it's uh, now that's that's like a visual style. The the um, you know the musical style is certainly based based on a swing. It's jazz in its root, you know. Um, that eight and sixteenth with the with the quarter note. It's got to have a ding. It's got to have the swing. Yeah, of course. It's got to swing along. So uh, with you know rockabilly, there's the the way to make it powerful the idea and part of his double bass that keeps it going in that exact sound but it's got a swing that's the main the main part of it and is that is that kind of difficult standing because you've got to have that one plant leg and then you've got to have your kick drum leg 
and you know you're sort of kind of off balance plus you're singing too during while you're doing all this stuff i mean it's almost a little bit of a barnum and bailey kind of vibe i mean because how how hard is it to, to do a 70 65 75 minute show standing up <laughs> i think it's totally hard <laughs> and but it's what you do and it there's a bit of a like a physical thing sure it's um that's what you signed up for in a funny way and that's what the what that's what the kids want and the you know the fans expect and and i'm happy to do it really it's um it's it's really one of the things that is apart from um that from the pack that we wanted to do and now 100 years later there you go <laughs> yeah i mean that's just the way you know you straight it. cats that's slim jim's gonna be right up there and uh wait, where you at stage right or stage left um when i play with the straight cats i i'm to the right of the guitar player because i'm left-handed i do it on my own i'm on the other side because when i'm singing you can look into the stage ah there you with go straight cats when i sing it's looking off the stage which is a funny thing but um, it's to do with really me being left-handed. Do you, uh, you know, my my father-in-law is lefty, so you know it's funny when we go out to dinner. There's a whole uh, seating arrangement because of the left-handed. <laughs> do you experience that as well? <laughs> um, yes, I'm one of those one people. I do things with both hands. I, I I write with my right hand, but I play drums left-handed. It's not. I can't do it either. But yeah, there's there's a funny thing. You just learn to adapt, which situation goes to the right thing and i've just learned going to play with someone if they call me to go jam at a club or something I, i'll just sit down backwards no problem <laughs> you don't have to move everything around well that's that's kind of the thing you know uh being you know doing some touring and stuff on my own i, I end up at these clubs and uh, you know typically you were traveling out of state and you're using an opener back line you know and it's sure. like hey i hope the kit's good for you i go yeah no problem but uh, the only thing is i'm left-handed so i'm gonna and, and the look on their face when you tell them that you're a lefty because i'm not a lefty but I say it just to kind of mess with them. Uh, it, it is it is just a look of really you just take a picture of that and you go, dude, I'm just kidding. It's all good, man. But uh, <laughs> it, it really just comes down to how long you have to play for. I mean, if it's a few songs, no problem. I, I mean, doing a gig, if it's my own gig, then I do. But if I'm going to hang out with somebody, I don't. no one's got to move anything around for me. But if it's my gig, it's already set up that way. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, doing some jamming because uh, you were uh, owner of a club on the Sunset Strip, the uh, world-famous Cat Club, and um, there was a, many, many, many jams going on there. Uh, I, I mean, endless, you know, Axl Rose, uh, what Brian May, I mean, Lemmy, uh, tons of people uh, have been to the Cat Club. I want to talk a little bit about your time as sure. owner of the Cat Club and how that came about and, and you know, how you got the, the real estate right on Sunset Strip uh, just a door away from the world-famous Whiskey A Go-Go. Well, anyone can do it. If they want to go do it, they could do it right now. You want to go on the hook for 8500 a month and then buy the liquor and then pay the employees and all hope that it works out. <laughs> Anyone could do it. Sure. There's no trick to it. Cat Club, we, we knew someone that was one of the leaseholders and they wanted a partner and we kind of had joined in with them. That was the, the genesis of that. And it wasn't originally supposed to be a live music place. Uh, that was an extra... Uh, thing it was just a snazzy cocktail lounge really and it was not succeeding in the way that it had to be because we were all on the hook for it sure so we went originally and got gear that i really had in storage and we built a little stage 
and the original uh, group that played there was myself playing drums, Carmine Rojas, bass, Stevie Salas, guitar, Bernard Fowler, singer, Ivan Neville, keyboards. And that was the original night that we did on Thursdays. And then uh, we had a stage and we got the you know, license that kept it open long enough to go through West Hollywood and to get the license to be able to do live music. And then it became a live music venue. And we had been there for a few years before that. So that's when um, when it became generated by live music. And the jam nights that uh, we we speak of are, were, um, were once a week on Thursdays. And there was live music at the Cat Club, five bands a night seven nights a week yeah certainly a special place very different you know some people say well why would you set up a venue next to the whiskey well the, the whiskey's a, a that, that's all they do and then they serve you know uh, liquor to the patrons come to see sure. the band the cat the cat club was uh to me was an experience it was a night out it, it, and it wasn't about the bands it wasn't about the bar it was it was about everything exactly. together to me sure and i certainly uh made a lot of friendships time. through the 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 years at the cat club (laughs) probably punished my liver a little bit too (laughs) (laughs) yeah me i was just the guy uh, who owned it and was dealing with the landlord i was there in the daytime a lot you know (laughs) yeah yeah what what, i mean what what are your thoughts uh, outside of some of the special moments and i want to ask you about those but you know just as a businessman what were your thoughts about owning a club is it like owning a boat sure probably a good thing good good reference and 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 I lived near there, so you could you know walk there, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it. We we were there for fifteen years, you know. And I had uh, you know, my son did, did his homework there, kind of thing at the desk upstairs. We were um, there was a there's other people up on the ship. You say the whiskey, the, the them, the rainbow, the Roxy. Everyone knew each other. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, um, a across the street. Johnny had his joint, you know. We'd see him sometimes. But the reality of it, if you know, like you say, if you want a boat, uh, <laughs> you know, you could take it out on Sundays, but there's the whole other part to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to bring your tool tool uh, box out with it. That's my experience owning a boat. It's, uh, you know what I mean? So um, tell me about some of the memorable moments, some of the, the people that showed up uh, typically unannounced on a Thursday. That was the other magic thing about seeing, and the band was called the Starfuckers. Was, it, was that the band from the very inception? Because you mentioned that first initial lineup. What'd you guys go by then? I don't know if there was a name for it. Oh, gotcha. It was, you know, um, started doing the, who was the second round? I think the second round might have been with Gilby Clark and Tracy Guns. Gotcha, okay. And uh, Swedish Johnny played bass, Johnny Grappar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was a lineup for a little while. And a lot of it had to do with me going in and out of town that I couldn't be there every week. And um, so a, we did that as much as we could. And I think that the you know the lineup evolved over the years. Ryan Roxy came and did it for a while. Eric Dover, who we love, came and did it. Stefan, the bass player, Stefan Adika came and did it for a little while. But the thing that I want to hammer, because it's I, I wasn't there for once a week buffoonery. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. You know, what I mean? you know, you own the boat, yes, but you're also, uh, you know, responsible for the, uh, you know, the Red Cross shipments kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't once a week for a couple hours is fine and groovy, and like a lot of people came and played, but um, some some nights there was just you know the band. So uh, Brian May came a couple times, I think, because Eric Singer was playing our other uh, great buddy, who 
who used to come and play. Uh, Axel Rose came one night, and it was Jimmy Ashurst playing bass, myself, and Gilby. So it was a bit random. And then for a little while, it became, you know, Slash would come all the time. He's my pal uh, before, during, after, you know. And uh, a little, uh, I was talking to someone last night, funnily enough, and they remembered when the guy from the Scorpions came, when Rudy came and played. Mm. It was always a fun thing to do on on a Thursday. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The trick, which I have to re- remind everyone, the Cat was open on Tuesday as well and Monday, right? Yeah. It was, you couldn't just open the place for two hours once a week and hope that rock stars would come. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's not how you do it. And um, that's what everybody, it's, it's kind of a uh, a continuous thing. Do you uh, you miss it at all? You miss uh, having no. the the space. Don't miss it. Don't miss the headache. Um, it, for you know two seconds, if you get some positive memory about it, and then you think quickly to the and and it was all cool. But right this minute in life, do you want to be on the hook for it? No. Did I really want to be on the hook for it back then? No. There's a few you know you know funny stories. There's not enough stories to to buy a case of liquor you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. and what other famous thing happened and what else who was that well there you go are you yeah. still doing uh, the rockabilly uh, rave up underground garage on Sirius XM yes we T- do um, tell me about that show that's uh, rockabilly rave up Sirius XM channel 21 with me your rockabilly buddy your honest mechanic slim Jim phantom every Sunday right here little Stevens underground garage Sirius XM channel 21 and that um We've been doing a radio show on Stevie Van Zandt's channel, who's beautiful, beautiful guy. Him, I would talk about all day long. He, uh, he, um, he got in touch really um, organically. I went to see him play at the Roxy about five years ago, maybe seven years ago, when he was doing his solo thing again with Sunset Strip. And I had gone to drop something off to someone who was in his band, my friend. And um, he was there in the daytime. There was no one else there in the middle of the day. Nightclubs in the daytime are very funny places. We just chatted. I guess the guy that I had gone to see, a friend of mine who was playing with him, wasn't there yet. So Stevie and I find ourselves talking. And he said, well, what do you got? And I said, well, I often think about, you know, there's no Beatles without Buddy Holly. There's no Rolling Stones without Bo Diddley. There's no Led Zeppelin without Howlin' Wolf. There's no my my soapbox rant. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, Stevie just looks at me. He does Silvio and says, all right, you're in. Had the first show in two weeks. I said, well, I wasn't really pitching the show. He said, have the show in two weeks. And that was, um, I think we did, we've done over 200 shows. Wow, that's that's pretty uh, monumental there. That's awesome, and that's cool. That's and it still was going really because he believed it and saw again one of those things. And uh, and I didn't know Stevie. I had known Springsteen, Bruce, because he loved the Stray Cats and would come out sometimes and you know wait for the club. <laughs> People would come and sit in with the Stray Cats when it was a happening thing. But I didn't know Stevie. He was in East Coast guy more than um than anything else and then when i met him now we're you know we're all in together it's a big family small family no that's great man it's <laughs> it's not many, uh, many members and and it's something that we'll do for forever i i really love doing it because it's a great um uh, platform for me yeah what kind of stuff do you uh would a listener expect to hear on uh, the rockabilly rave up on underground garage series 6m 
every week on the Rock Billy Raven, the small theme that I made for myself was we start every week with Elvis Presley. Any Elvis Presley is cool from the from from the originals to um, you know the original rock and rollers to the last thing he did. It's all good. It's yeah. all freely available. And I end every week with Stray Cats. And in between that, it's it's an adventure. Whatever I kind of think of, I thread the whole thing through the uh, through the eye. You know, the thread is you know rockabilly because, like you know, like we said, you can make the you know the reference for it right there. Led Zeppelin loves rockabilly. Guns and Roses loves rockabilly. Eric Clapton loves it. Whoever you want to say is a classic or current artist, it's all through it. In some manner, shape, or form, the rockin' gals of Rockabilly. It's Wanda Jackson, who's my friend. I've spent her birthday <laughs> with her in October. Brenda Lee. These are classic people all the way through to today, who's on my show, Shirley Manson, who's our friend. The most modern people. And Rockabilly is, whether you adopt the lifestyle of it, is a whole other story, but you, I think anyone should be aware of it. If you like Robert Plant, find out that Robert Plant's favorite singer is a guy named Ral Donner, who is a rockabilly artist. <laughs> so, and that's the important thing. Wow, we're speaking with uh, Slim Jim Fan. I'm talking rockabilly and the roots. And, you know, the roots aren't so narrow. They're deep and far and wide into the rock and roll world. We are on uh, Dirty Radio Dead FM Channel 2, Dirty Radio Classics here, live 2 to 5 Pacific Standard Time. Slim Jim Phantom, you know, you mentioned a couple different times about Elvis Presley and uh, came across an interview, uh, just some fun facts in that you You've got a couple of superstitions, one of which is Elvis, and we'll get to that. What's the other superstition? What's something a little odd or a little different about you other than you stand up playing drums for two hours? I don't know if there are so much secrets. We wear odd socks. Yeah, tell me about that. that that's kind of what I was referring to. So, you, you, so you, you'll you, buy two pairs of socks, say, and, exactly. you'll, and you'll mix them up. And uh, so where'd that come from? I think it had to do with the Teds, who are you know British subculture who loved rockabilly music and took it to the next level. This would have been in the early 60s all the way through to now. It's a smaller group who wore in drape coats, creepers, drain pipes. It was in a photograph that I think I saw of that. And then I think that dated back to I heard that Elvis Presley did it. Interesting. And it used to be more. And it started out as a practicality, not even on purpose, because with the three of us lived together in a tiny flat and all the clothes were open game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I my shoe size bigger than the others, so I couldn't take their shoes. But sometimes you'd get one athletic sock and one tuxedo sock. So it was then when we became a little bit older and were able to buy our own socks, we could get you know two pairs, one you know one one purple, one. Uh, yellow and match them up <laughs> wow and then uh you know speaking about elvis uh one thing i read was that uh if elvis comes on and you've pulled into your house uh, to park your car you're staying until the end of the song what's that all about just out of respect it's like superstition that i have that can't turn off elvis presley in the, until the song is finished I think that's very cool. I think that's very cool. I mean, he's the king, you know? That's a bit of a, um, I mean, nothing bad's ever happened, so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to try to keep it going. Hey, listen, there are, the, there are worse vices to have, you know what I mean, other than listening to uh, an Elvis Presley tune to the end. Do you, have, do you have a favorite Elvis song, if there's such a thing? Oh, any of the original ones from the Sun, you know, Sun Recordings. That's All Right Mama. That's the beginning of rock and roll. 
that I know of. Uh, last thing before we let you go, um, you still involved in uh, um, facilitating rescues for uh, our, our homeless dogs and cats? Is that something you still uh, participate in? Positively. Uh, there's, there's a great organization that we work with called Lux Paws, L-U-X-E-P-A-W-S. It's a full-on thing that the people should go out and look for, I think. Absolutely. I'm all about uh, animal rescue and, and helping, and uh, that, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're still involved in that. Uh, what to, involved in that too, Troy? You know, I, I, I have been. Uh, not only uh, have Excellent. my wife and I, um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of fostering, but uh, we've, we've yes. dogs that are, you know, the ones that are least likely to get adopted um, yes. will we'll either, we'll either foster or we'll snag and we'll say, you know, we'll take, they got a couple years left and, uh, and we'll do that. So while we don't do it uh, on a, uh, a really intense level, we do it on the, the biggest level that we can can um that we that we can and and we always recommend everybody you know adopt don't shop there's a lot of great dogs and, and cats out there yeah and foster that's if you can buddy. you know so yeah we we, we do what we can that's that's awesome so lux paws and uh and that's to what extent uh, are you involved in that is that, is that your particular program is that one that you work with no it's one that we support excellent that's excellent. Slim Jim Phantom. Anything else I may have missed? I mean, listen, a career that's over 40 years, we're not going to hit it all in an hour. And uh, yeah. but, but I wanted to just kind of touch on some of the different things. And one thing that I'll take from this is that uh, I think we all have a little bit of rockabilly in us more than we, we thought. You know, that's kind of how I feel at the end of this interview. Like, totally. I kind of dig the rockabilly, too. I mean, you know, listen, Stray Cat Strut, man, that's, that's, a, that's a rocking tune right there. Exactly. We just try to put in rockabilly and really the original American rock and roll and everything that they launch into the current thing it can't be a forgotten thing just i think it's very important i mean if you dig the white stripes as our buddy jack that's rockabilly 100 percent. very easy to do like one kind of step if you like whoever you like current artists from the 80s from anything you like just think for two seconds who they like and you'll find it out immediately and all roads lead back to rockabilly all roads lead to eddie cochran that's cool that's very cool uh slim jim phantom we can find you at is that uh, slim jim phantom.com yes slim jim phantom.com official slim jim instagram and twitter and really a good one that we've been doing that we think is really cool is patreon oh okay we've, tell me about that we, patreon is a special thing we we do our radio shows we do um we do a sports program as well on channel 87 because my other thing that we love our whole life is baseball do you know fantasy baseball we've done all the way back to we used to do with johnny ramon by you know, you know facts and good facts with an x and uh, so many games with the there's a whole rock and roll baseball community out there everyone loves it you know we do series xm channel 87 thursdays seven o'clock pacific time right channel on 87 a whole show about fancy baseball and all things through my perspective. And then we do Underground Garage Sundays, 5 o'clock Pacific time on Sundays. Right and, on, right on. It's all cool stuff. He's a busy man, busy man. Hey, Slim Jim, before I let you go, if I can just get, uh, I'll get your show ID live here on the air since sure. we weren't able to get sure. it, uh, and it, I'll just let you go. You got it, buddy. Anytime you're ready. Slim Jim Phantom, you still with me? Did he leave? Did we lose Slim Jim? Now, what's the ID, buddy? 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, so we're just still on the air now, and uh, and then we'll then we'll let you go. But uh, yeah, just uh, if you don't mind, just a little shout out, Slim Jim Phantom. You're listening to this, that, and the other radio show on Dirty Radio Classics. Whatever you want to say. This is my buddy Troy Patrick Farrell. This, that, and the other. Dirty Classics Radio. I would suggest that you do it, and it's from me, your honest mechanic, your rockabilly buddy, Slim Jim Phantom. Tune in. Be there. Perfect. Like a spoken like a true professional. Slim Jim Phantom, thanks so much for coming on the show. And, thanks, uh, Troy. I appreciate yeah, it, man. You call me anytime. Appreciate it, man. Go you pass. are legendary, and have a good one, and, and uh, take care of them thanks, dogs Troy. and cats. You got it. Nice one. All right. Good there goes the stray cat thanks, himself. Troy. Cheers, bro. Slim Jim Phantom, he is out and a little stray cat strut and uh, Colonel Parker. We did, we didn't really talk a little Colonel Parker, but uh, we mentioned Gilby Clark and uh, Muddy Stardust, uh, former or I guess original Lost Angel, <laughs> and uh, and Slim Jim and Teddy uh, Zigzag on the keys. Here's a little uh, down home cooking. This is actually a song that was written by Slim Jim, sung by Muddy, and uh, on guitar is Gilby, and on keys will be Teddy Zigzag, and uh, we'll be back. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. I think I think a ghost just entered me. Anyway, we'll be back with more of this, that, and the other radio show, Dirty Radio.fm, Dirty Radio Classics. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Slim Jim Phantom. The, I mean, come on. He's a stray cat. I mean, it's stray cats. Former, no, future, <laughs> future Rock Hall of Fame. That's my guess, all right? If you guys uh, want to put in some names in the hat, uh, go over to the Rock Hall. I think they're rockhall.com or on social media and uh, say, hey, don't forget about the stray cats, all right? Everybody uh, needs to rescue a stray cat and uh, you can do so with Lux Paws and help out uh, Slim Jim's little uh, foundation there. All right, uh, we'll be back with more rock and roll. Seven Classic Rock Dirty Radio. We play the biggest variety of classic rock. Dirty Radio Classics.